don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Often get asked, well, what's the difference between, you know, when you interrogate and when a cop interrogates? <laughs> All right, we'll play that game. Let's let's pretend. We'll play that game. We're gonna talk about some of the things that police officers do. Not all these are from the United States or even the Western world. These are some of the classics, more well known ones, things you actually have probably experienced if you've ever been so called interrogated or interviewed by police. You definitely have seen some of these probably on the TV show. But more than often than not, it'll be any of those police documentaries or shows where they show people getting talked to that committed a crime. Any of those crime shows. Go watch one. See when they're in there talking to them. You'll see some of these. They have a lot more techniques. Some of them are actually really good and some are dumb as shit. But I'm going to go over some of the classics. And I'm not a police officer or legal professional. But I'm just saying, there's something here to answer that question you might learn from. This isn't help you get over on law enforcement by any means. Good luck trying, especially for federal. But... It's a fun topic, a fun discussion to have, and maybe Luke can chime in at some point next time we're on, discuss some of the things he does that's different than me, and why it works for him, and why it wouldn't work for me, and vice versa. So, cops and robbers, what happens when you get caught, and how are they going to talk to you? That's what we talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. It's funny to me because sometimes I just think people are dumb and maybe they are. Maybe that's why they get caught or why they even fall into a trap of confessing or admitting to something they didn't even do. I'm not here to make claims either way, what cops do or whether or not it's good or bad. It's just to answer the question and go over some of the techniques they use and how they differ. Mostly just looking at what they use them for and how. Some things to note, this may not apply to everybody everywhere. These are in no particular order. Some of them can work well with others. Some are better by themselves. There's no guarantee that if you think you see any of this, that that's actually happening. And like I've said, even with our own actual interrogators, there's a lot to be said about experience and skill level and whether or not it works. One thing to note, though, is in most places in the Western world, and especially anything we equate to the federal level, it's actually a crime to lie to federal law enforcement typically when they're conducting an investigation, even if you don't know an investigation is being conducted. Even in situations where you don't know you're talking to law enforcement, that can be the case. The contrast to that, pretty much they're allowed to lie to you at any time, and that's a lot of what gets people lying. Emotion might even be real emotion. And I'm going to say some things that are going to sound like I'm attacking police officers. Some of them kind of are, but it's to specifics of individuals in these situations, not necessarily the techniques and definitely not police officers as a whole. I think it's a weakness, and I think it's something they could work on to do better. But that's just me. So one of the things 
And this actually works well, even if law enforcement are involved, when you want to get somebody to admit to something you believe to cr- be criminal. And for this has to do with typically a recording. So if you're, you want to know the laws, whether or not you can record, whether or not, even if you can record and it's legal, is it admissible? You know, there's all these things to be said, but it doesn't have to be recorded. I mean, it could be recorded on a phone. It could be recorded in person. It also could just be a text thread or a messenger of some type. But the idea is to get somebody to admit a crime by just explaining to them that you're just really hurt about this thing that they did. You're hurt and it bothers you and you just want an apology. Just say you're sorry type stuff. You know, it's not about pressing charges. It's not about going to the police. This is before they think any of that's happened. Just apologize. You know, I I just can't believe somebody would do this to me. It really hurts me. If I did it, I would apologize, that kind of thing. And it's a trap. It's a trap because... People can apologize not knowing that they're under surveillance. But also, it's a trap in a sense. This is why I think it's it's useful, but why I think people put too much credence in it, like in courtrooms. A lot of that stuff's heavily emotionally based, you know, and not fact-based, which can be good for you if you're in the right and not the wrong, and it works in your favor, but courts are supposed to be more about facts and feelings. But the downside, the real downside to it is somebody who has a lot of sympathy or empathy apologizing. Even trying to apologize in the way that you feel hurt or that something happened to you but not able to articulate it correctly and sounding like they're incriminating themselves when they've actually done nothing. So that's kind of a downside to it. Now, granted, that's a lot of other things come into play there. But one of the biggest things and some of the things I'll, I'll mention on this is, well, actually, I'll get to it later on why I think some of these things are bad. One of the things that help is just this idea of interrogation. I, it shouldn't be allowed for law enforcement to use that term because they don't. That's not what they're doing. I, I don't care. They, they typically delineate an interview as a victim or witness, interrogation as a suspect, but they're actually by definition not interrogating. And I've covered that before. But one of the things is just putting you in that room. You know, you're isolated. Typically these rooms are small. There's a, one chair and a play, maybe a table. Uh, they typically will bring in another chair later to make it feel smaller. There won't be anything to see anymore. It's, you know, TV shows are always fun because they got the one-way glass and somebody's watching it. But a lot of these places are, there's a camera and audio, but there is no window. There's no glass. There's no mirror. There's nothing. And and we did this kind of thing, not as an actual technique necessarily. Sometimes it was necessary, but you get put in a situation, you're isolated from everybody and everything. And yeah, we're going to be back in a minute or whatever, but you get left in there for a long time. Uh, too long, actually. And there's feelings and things that can come from this isolation. And when they come in and talk to you, whatever way they choose to next can start to have a profound effect. And typically while you're in there, they're just watching you to see what happens. You know, and if you're like, fuck it and going to sleep, they'll probably come in quicker. The downsides to this are they typically, I've seen on the real, real interviews they do in this manner where they come into the suspect and they don't hit off with some of the primary things they should that could get them in a lot of trouble like... Do you need to use the bathroom? You know, do you need some water or something like that? And you should definitely take those opportunities. Like, yeah, I need to pee. Get the fuck out of there, stretch your legs. Because <laughs> you're going to be in there for a while. You know, and this, is, this isn't this is about whether or not it's right or where the lawyers are involved. Just understanding the different things that they do. But it makes you feel disconnected and can make you feel, you know, really just... It can actually screw with people a lot. The funny thing from this is they'll actually go into rapport building. I've talked to rapport building a lot but in these situations, when you're put, 
when you're put in there in a situation that is now negative, this isolation and things they're trying to do are negative, and then they come in and try to play your friend is, is a bad move, especially for law enforcement. Because the reason is, the difference between them and me when I interrogated, when you work in law enforcement, you know that they are the legal authority there. They're the authority. You knew that when they brought you in. So they are your opposition, we'll say. Maybe you're a bad guy, maybe you're a good guy, but they're the ones that have done this to you. And then to turn around and try to come in and build rapport is just a terrible thing. It's why they move on to other things and it typically doesn't work. The person who's going to get away with building rapport is the person who hasn't done anything to this person. You know, and if they come in and try to say, well, it wasn't me or it was this or this is policy, these are beyond my control, that's dumb for them to do. They are all cops. They are all part of that system. And that's why a lot of times the rapport building doesn't work for them. They go more into the emotional pleas and things at other times or they get aggressive. But the this whole idea of rapport building is, is a terrible thing. One of the things that can be done, and this has happened in a lot, I don't know if, I really don't know if there's somebody out there is a cop or a former cop. Let me know if this actually happens in the United States. But there are countries where this happens and where they have some sort of rights like we do. That you know, might be an attorney or it might be something, something they have in their favor. And in order to talk to them, they'll try to get them to sign a piece of paper. And they'll explain what this piece of paper is and try not to get you to read it or to ignore the five print. They'll try to summarize for you and, you know, just to help you out. And if you try to read it, they'll get upset. Or if you try to ask questions or you want a lawyer, they'll get upset. And it's because it's a scam. Sometimes these documents, what they're really doing is signing your rights away. And they do them in the situations where it can't be contested, where even if they lied to you, it's okay. You should have read it. Or there's not surveillance like cameras involved or witnesses. So it's just your word against them, but you signed it. And then you lose this right or this thing, or you accepted the fact like there's been cases. I know in America a long time, like decades ago, there were similar cases to this where what that signature did was put them into a facility, not prison, but like a mental health facility, even though that's not what they were called then. There are things like that that have happened. So while I've heard this, I can say I know of two instances of two people I knew personally that at the time said it happened to them where they were at the VA, convinced to sign a piece of paper, damn well coming from the military, knowing you shouldn't do that without reading it, and it got them locked into the psych ward. And there was nothing they could do about it. So you want to be careful of that. If you're ever involved in a situation, somebody wants you to sign something, one, you should read it, but two, you should already have a lawyer and get the lawyer to tell you whether or not to sign it. I think one of the worst things that they do, and I'm, I realize that this, there's a lot of claims about things that are working that I think are bad claims. So if you do a thing and somebody confesses, then that means it works. But what about when it's a false confession or it's too much of a confession, meaning they were present, but they didn't do everything that they, you got them to confess to. And there's been plenty of those situations. But one of the things is, of course, to make the accusations, but to stop people from verbalizing denials. And, and when this happens, it'll start with things like cutting you off. Cutting you off, not letting you talk, saying, nope, nope, stop, shut up, stop talking. They don't want you to make that statement. And then they try to tell you, listen to me, listen to what I have to say right now. This is very important. And all they're trying to do is out-talk you and beat you down mentally to, so you can just like, fuck it, whatever you want, I'll do it. They don't have anything important to say. Right? They're, they're taking away your right to speak. This is part of the reason why you need an attorney in any situation. Like, you could literally be the witness to something, but you were there. I wouldn't tell them shit 
I, you may tell them something on the scene. I saw the car wreck happen this way, but they want to take you downtown? Nuh-uh, not unless you're arresting me. You know, it doesn't matter why they want you to go or they're inviting you. Well, this is really important. This is better if we do it downtown. If it's really important, you'd be asking me the questions right here. All the arguments and reasons about going downtown without being arrested are bullshit. And it's just to get you locked in that room. Or it's like, not unless you're arresting me. Well, if I need to do that, motherfucker, if you could arrest me, you would have done that already. So we know that's not happening. So you can fucking go pound sand. Because once you're in those situations, it's hard to get out. Even if you can stand there and say, you need to let me out. You're holding me illegally. I'm not had my rights read. I'm not under arrest. I'm not in a holding situation. You're voluntarily getting into situations where perhaps in those jurisdictions, because you showed up, they can hold you for 72 hours or whatever the rules are. That's part of the reason why you don't go. But when you're in there, and then they go after you, and then they're just cutting you off. And then maybe they yell at you. Maybe they do whatever, but they try to get you to stop verbalizing anything they don't want. They want you to verbalize what they want. And a big portion of these discussions are them trying to tell you what to say without directly doing it, what they want, and physically doing everything they can, or verbally doing everything they can to stop you from doing what they want. Which you could just close your eyes and put your fingers in your ear like a child and say, I didn't do that. You guys can stop now. Or you just do the smart thing and get a lawyer. But it's just a terrible thing. It's rude. It's a it's a negative way to approach the situation. It's always done poorly. Sure, you can beat people down that way, but it's it's weak. It shows a lot of, to me, immaturity and inexperience for the conversational skills of that interviewer. I think it's petty. And there's so much easier ways and better options out there that can be used that have been proven. But this can happen, and you need to realize that that's a thing. They just get angry and emotional. And here, here's the other, here's part of the reason why it's bad. A lot of the ones I've seen where they do this and they try to cut off denials or they're starting to get angry, they're starting to get emotional. It's not fake. It's a legit response they're having. They are out. They've reached their emotional board failure. They're out of control. And the reason they do this and do these types of things and try to, what I say, verbally force these confessions is because they're lazy. They can't do their job. Or if you don't, say confessed or do what they want they're now required to do these other steps that are part of their job they're basically required to do their job but now it's your fault and they're mad at you because they want to be lazy they want the easy way out and this is the type of statement that pisses cops off but there are plenty of cops like that one of the things that can tie into this too like remember i said they can lie is you know they always have the paperwork or they show pictures or they show something that looks scientific or something that looks medical or say things like your DNA was there and we have it, or your fingerprints are there. This is part of the reason why you need to have a lawyer to understand, is that even possible? Like there's people that would tell you that if a crime just happened, you can't possibly, they couldn't possibly have detected your DNA. Based on how those things are done in regular law enforcement, that's probably true. However, the technology and items exist to in fact figure that out very quickly. Regular law enforcement doesn't have that kind of stuff. So this is part of the reason why an attorney is needed. But we did similar things to this like filing dossiers, one of them where we would create fake stuff and it would work sometimes. It works more often in the law enforcement realm, less often in an interrogation thing when you're dealing with insurgents and these types of things. With a real big-time criminal, it's irrelevant because they know they're a big-time criminal. That stuff's going to exist, so it's, it's pointless to bring that up. But it's this idea that, look, we can show you this. Here is evidence, and it's, and it's fake, or part of it's fake. And you don't know. We have this. We have your fingerprints. We have this picture. All these things can be photoshopped and whatever. Now, I'm not saying cops are dirty. 
In fact, if cops do this, it's a good technique that can work. If they reasonably believe you are there or you know something or whatever, and they realize the best chance to get a conviction is to get you to confess, but they don't have enough and likely can't get enough to really hold you, let alone push for these charges. So they're going to go this route. It seems like in TV they go this route a lot. I don't think that's the case in reality, but they'll they'll try to do this, and sometimes it'll work. And it's this idea that there's all this false stuff here. Here's the downside to it. I don't know percentages on this, but there's tons of documentaries of famous cases of people like murders and rapes, real serious crimes and even minor crimes. Um, guys have gone to prison for a long time and got out, and it's because some of these techniques were used, like false evidence, and people just break down and confess to things, sometimes in detail, uh, as though they did it, and it turns out they didn't or couldn't possibly have done it, or later the details don't match, or later, you know, science develops where there's uh, DNA. I've seen that in a couple of cases, but some was only happened in this, this century, you know, in the last 20 years. You know, they're real famous. There's probably others, but these are the things that are the downsides. This is why I don't know how cops do this, but I know from our side, we try to get as many points of information that are positive, basically in our favor, makes this this stronger. Like, we don't call them cases, but if we were to, it would make it stronger. Plus, the goals are different. I mean, law enforcement's job is to um, enforce laws, stop crime, get them in front of a judge. Judge adjudicates based on, you know, presentation of laws. We convict criminals, X, Y, Z. The interrogation world, where real interrogations happen, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It, you know, a lot of times on the lower levels, you were caught as a criminal anyway. Like, we have the evidence. You're going to jail. We're just going to lie to you about that because we don't care. Our goal isn't to put you in jail. Our goal is to get information. So, like, however often this happens in the real world, in TV shows and movies, cops are going for the bigger fish. They're willing to trade this guy to get the bigger guy. And sometimes it's a good story because it's really compelling. Like, yeah, they're trading a smaller fish, but this is a really, really bad dude they're going to let go to get this bigger thing. In the intel world, that happens a lot. Now, it's Bob the Dirt Farmer. You know, it's very rare that it's something more significant or more significant and could also be a threat again. But there is always more. So it's not about a singular thing. It's There's not a murderer out there that's killed a couple of people we're trying to stop. There is a bunch of murderers out there, and we need to stop them. And a lot of these guys know each other and using the same techniques. So we need to get as much intel from these guys as we can before we put them in front of a judge to go out and find more of these guys and stop more murders. That's essentially what's happening. Whereas in law enforcement, you know, there's a murderer, There's a, that, that's what it is. There are cases, of course, where there's multiple murders or a couple of guys, but most of the time they're singular individual cases. So think of it like this. Let's say you're going after a famous serial killer and you're gonna catch Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, back in those days. The comparison would be to say, if serial killers all kind of knew each other and had a club and did some of this, actually used a lot of the same techniques, which we know that they don't, but let's say they did. Then, of course, you would talk to Jeffrey Dahmer longer, even though you have his conviction, trying to get more information because you want to go stop, you know, BTK or somebody. That's why they're different in the different worlds on how these things work. Some of the type of emotional things they do, too, which I, I don't know what the names of these for, is just something I've noticed a lot, is... It's as though they're trying, they're trying to explain to the suspect why the suspect did what they did. And this is before there's an admission of any type. And it's usually a good or a bad, like, you did this really bad, terrible thing. Believe, you know, probably from, 
probably, I would guess, used from a similar perspective as how we'd use an interrogation of uh, Pride and Ego Down, where we believe providing this negative idea and thought is going to gain us the positive response of what we're looking for. Whereas the opposite is kind of the good thing, like, okay, we know you killed them. Okay, I don't know why you're trying to deny it against stopping the Nile. We know you killed him. That's, that's not even up for debate. We're trying to understand why. We think it was an accident. We think you didn't mean to do it, right? I think we can help you with that. That makes it sound like a good thing. Like, they just need to figure out what's going on to close this case, and they're going to get you help, and you're going to be fine. But no, that's a lie. It's just to get to confession. It's a smart move. It's a very similar thing. It, I would say it's not necessarily similar to Pride and Ego Up. It could be used that way. But it's... It's it's very interesting technique that could work. I, it would not be useful much for us in interrogation. Uh, that I've seen stuff like this happen to understand why Bob the terrorist is helping out this other dude. You know, like, all right, you're this poor regular dude who did this bad thing that you know better. He's a rich and powerful dude, so I get the fear factor there. I'm just trying to see if there's something else. I've, I've seen stuff like that, but typically this is not something that would be used, like, I'd say at the majority or a go-to, but it might be something that could be tried later if it comes up as a possibility. But they're good techniques for law enforcement to use, and I, I think they're probably, just based on the stuff I've seen in documentaries, I think they're under-trained. I think really what they need is uh, professional interrogators to help them through these processes to kind of refine some of these skills. I think they would get a lot more out of these interviews they do with suspects if ones like this that are actually solid techniques were developed further. Now, these are just a few. Definitely comment or something if you know some others or ones you believe that have happened or if you've had an experience yourself you'd like to share. Anybody out there who works in law enforcement around them that has a better understanding of these or different ideas or from different countries, let me know. I'm sure Luke, when he hears this because he listens, will have something to say or maybe we'll do something on it at another time. And uh, while I'm thinking about it because we don't get to talk all that much, Luke, definitely want to hit you up on this idea at some point and find out some of the other ones you have. Maybe we can do a follow-on or I can do a follow-on on this. But this is just to understand, again, this isn't about beat the cop situation. Um, this is just about understanding how some of these things work, where I think some of the weaknesses and positives is, why some of them work better for cops, why some of them work better for actual interrogators. It's just a different different type of thing. There are many other techniques and things used. There are techniques and stuff people write in books that claim that are just gold, but it was, it was gold for them at that time. Doesn't mean it's gold for everybody all the time. You know, body language and so many other things play a part into this. And most law enforcement have zero training in a lot of these skills and things that interrogators have or that I have. And there's a few things they pick up on. And there, there are times where there's body language things I've seen that I've seen the cops react to that I wonder, do they know that or is it a subconscious reaction? But it's, it's working. And there's things that they're looking for that will key them in on it. And I think their biggest challenge I've seen when I've seen just documentaries of real interviews based on these different, I've watched hundreds of these things. One of the most prevalent things I've seen is how long somebody will stay quiet or say almost nothing and they keep talking, keep talking, keep trying. And they always try to explain, you know, the cop asked the question 10 times and they stop for a couple minutes and they go back at it again like it's a technique, but they do it so much, it's not a technique. They, they're not sure what to do at this point. I think one of their biggest challenges is that silence and, and doing it and being able to go long enough and continual enough to not wear themselves out, but not make it look like they're at a loss. Because even if that is a so-called technique, they follow that technique of silence too much in response, and it looks like they're at a loss, and I guarantee a lot of those people see that. And especially because on some of them, just watching their body language, 
I'm like, yeah, they're responding to that. They think you're at a loss. You've basically just reset the last 20 minutes. You didn't shut up. And a lot, a lot of it's just about, it's not just that challenge, but knowing the things to say to get that person going. And, and sometimes when I've seen them, when they show, it's hard to tell when they show pieces, but I've seen ones that have been in the entire session. It's like they come in a lot and just go at somebody instead of trying to feel them out to see where they're at. I'm like, man, you're just shutting them down. And that's, that's not what you want. You want, you're in there for a confession. That means you need to get them to talk. And I think that's one of the weaknesses I've seen is this idea of we're just going to go after them. And that's even in the interrogation world. That was bad. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember this idiot Colonel. He was so funny, but he always acted like he could tell me what to do. He was not in my chain of command. I, I literally told that guy to fuck off more than once. But he's like, well, I would be doing this 20 hours. A day. I was like, that's why you're not an interrogator. You don't know what you're doing. We're not doing that. He's like, well, I'm giving you an order. I'm like, you, you can't give me orders. We're not doing that. I don't work for you. Um, and, and thankfully, we didn't listen to him because it would have been really, really bad if we did. So I, I think that's uh, something that can be looked at. And I do know, too, one of the things I know, I have friends that are cops at different levels, different law, even federal law enforcement. There's big delays in information sometimes. There's delays in training there's, you know, a lot of it's TV does it kind of badly, but there is something to be said about this idea of small town USA has a couple of cops. They don't have a lot of crime and there's a lot of things they don't know or don't learn. That's because they don't have the money to send these guys to the training. They also, nothing's come up for them to know it. Whereas regular cop comes from, you know, New York and has all this knowledge and training when they're out there on the job every day. Well, they see a lot more stuff in a day than sometimes these small town guys might see all year. And they have a lot more funding there and they get a lot more training. So there's a lot to be said there. So despite what I think about these techniques, somebody with lack of training, doing their best, trying to learn on their own, small town USA, they got a crime there, they're trying to solve it and they do some of these techniques, not knowing they're not that good. Or even if they're good techniques, they're not performing well. It's because they don't have the training or experience to totally get that. Whereas other people that could do better but get stuck on their egos that are the lazy ones, the bad ones, the ones that are terrible at this and shouldn't be doing it, those are the ones that... I'm really kind of down on. So that's just my thoughts. In the most part, though, I'm a fan of cops. I think they're the majority of them are good. They're portrayed as bad because of some things that have happened, but I think the majority of them are doing the best and they're there trying to protect and serve. 